coming up next on the Varsity Journal Podcast. But like I said, if, if you want to act like an advocate for domestic abuse, you better put everybody on blast. Not just Kareem Hunt returning to the show is Spencer Kite. Always fun having this guy on the show. It really feels like sacrificing a veteran to, to a young upstar, which is just, it's the way this sport has been built. It's the way this sport happens. It's an unfortunate part of things, but I just do not see this ending well for, for the spider. Uh, when I'm not talking sports on the show, what, what, what are the two things I usually talk about? One, my Ottawa is fucked. Two, I hate my job. This next story, you get a little two for one. What's up, everybody? This is episode 15 of the Varsity Journal. I'm your host, Ryan Poirier. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you notice, we got some ads now, baby. Um, they're going to be like a minute long, so deal with it. Uh, but to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure how the ads are working. Um, the ads, I agreed to do them and they went to all of my old episodes, but they didn't go to the new episodes. So I'm hoping it, uh, works now. I'm hoping it's all sorted out and, uh, the ads show up on this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one minute. You guys can get over it. Um, anyway, some, uh, crazy news in the uh in the past week in the world of sports some shocking news came last week almost immediately as i released uh the last episode i did um you know news broke out that kareem hunt was involved in an altercation with a female inside a hotel room this news came last friday and uh you know Hours later, um, after TMZ released that video of Kareem Hunt, uh, he gets dropped by the Kansas City Chiefs. And now, as of Monday, Kareem Hunt is a free agent. And uh, it seems that nobody else wants to pick this guy up. Um, And the craziest thing about all this to me was the fact that, you know, all this news came out just hours after um, that episode that I released and that episode was almost exclusively on the topic of domestic violence in professional football. So now, um, there are some things that I want to state first before I, before I get into that video, uh, regarding Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt is a running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, was a running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. And he is a guy who is at the peak of his playing career. And, you know, this guy is definitely one of the best running backs in the league. And this is important because this is going to change the outcome of everything. This is going to change the outcome of what inevitably happens to Kareem Hunt. Now, I have... I got Todd Gurley, I got Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, and Alvin Kamara. I have those those five running backs ahead of him. But, uh, you know, just to give you an idea, that's that's the type of class that, that Kareem Hunt is in. You know, those are the five guys that I have ahead of him, but, you know, argu- arguably he's, he's better than any one of those guys. Um, you know, 
This guy isn't a slouch. He's definitely one of the best in the league. And and like I said, that's going to be an important factor on whether or not this guy ever plays football again. And it's going to be an important factor on whether or not general managers and owners will be taking a risk in signing him and if it'll be worth it. And it's going to be an important factor um, for these general managers and these owners to in, to investing, uh, having scrutiny from the public and and backlash from from the sponsors, and whether or not that'll be worth it. Um, you know, I talked about this last week when the 49ers, when they invested in Ruben Foster, they took a risk, and they took a risk because of his talents. This guy ultimately failed them, and he got involved with, you know, a second domestic dispute case, and then the 49ers dropped him. But let me tell you something. The reason that he was signed to a National Football League team and the reason that he was one of 53 players on that roster is because of talent and talent alone. No matter what the general manager or the owner will tell you, it's not because they're not investing all of, all of this because they think this guy is going to be a good guy and he's going to be a good guy for the locker room. They think that he's going to help contribute to winning football games because he's talented. So, let's uh, let's let's get to the video this self. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna break this down. I'm I'm gonna watch it one final time, and and that's gonna be it because I've I've watched and I've analyzed this video, um, an awful lot this week. Okay. So in this video, it starts off, and uh, we see Kareem Hunt walking down the hallway. You can see him having a verbal altercation with a woman. And this is what sucks about these videos. This is what sucks anytime these videos come out. You don't hear the fucking audio. You know what would provide some context to all of this going on? Some fucking audio. I don't know what it is about these recordings if they're not able to release the audio to the public. But if they're allowed to release a video to the public, release the audio too. If you have video cameras without audio attached to them, what the point? what's the point of the fucking video? Because you can't... You can't claim to, to be able to, to judge everything that's going on if, if you don't have the audio attached to it as well. So, according to the rumors, the altercation starts and Kareem Hunt had kicked this woman out of his hotel room because this woman wouldn't sleep with his friends. That's speculation number one. This woman then started yelling at Hunt and apparently she called him the N-word multiple times. That's speculation number two. And we can't hear any of the fight. We can't hear what's going on because, like I said, there's no volume on this recording. So all of this is he said, see shit. See sh- Oh my god. He said, she said. Um, but yeah. Some volume would definitely provide some context as to what exactly uh, they're arguing about. But unfortunately, we don't get that. What we do get is right in front of our eyes. And so what we see after Hunt gets separated from this woman into a hallway that, that's out of our view, out of the view of, of the camera, we see this woman walking towards Hunt. And this is after he had shoved her and now there's, there's a few guys that are um, 
pushing them back into this hallway and, and, and they're trying to calm this situation down a little bit. Um, so the woman is walking towards Hunt and what, what I can dissect from this video is that this woman is clearly not leaving this very tense situation either. So at some point, I think that we need to hold this woman accountable for that at the very least. I mean, you can't say that Kareem Hunt was involved in some involuntary verbal fight because this woman is clearly involved in it based on what the video is showing. And as the woman approaches the men trying to calm the situation down, Kareem Hunt then comes barreling down the hallway, the hallway that's out of frame, and he knocks over both the guy and he knocks over her, and she goes flying, and, and she, she hits the wall. And she's clearly distraught after that. Um, and her friend then steps in, and now there's this other woman that's trying to get involved, but she's trying to defuse the situation, uh, it appears. Um, so the woman that, who just got barreled over, she starts to crouch to the ground, and after you know, right after she's gotten up. And here's here's where Kareem Hunt gets in trouble. I, th I think that this is where it um, ultimately gets Kareem Hunt kicked off the Kansas City Chiefs. He kicks the woman. Um, it was a little kick, okay? He kicked her foot. And she knocks over, and she was already leaning, so she, she was going to fall over anyway. Okay? So for all the clickbait bullshit out there that's saying, watch watch this, Cream Hunt kicks a woman, it's not true. That's clickbait, okay? The kick isn't the main part of the story, and it shouldn't be the main part of the story. It ultimately is, but that's only because of media, okay? He didn't round out his kick her in the head. He, he kicked her off her feet, and it caused her to fall. The real... The real uh, storyline here is the fact that he was aggressive and he was pushing this woman, okay? But you can't put that in into a title and make that sound attractive and make that sound like, like this is a guy who should be kicked out of the, the NFL. The only way that you can make a video about someone and have other people watch that and think that it's big news and ultimately have this guy kicked out of the NFL is if you title it cream hunt kicks a woman. Okay. But he kicked her feet. He lightly kicked her feet. That, that should not be the main storyline. Okay. He was abusive towards this woman and, and he pushed her, but him kicking her was not the abuse. Um, now I was going to get into something, but I, I don't even know if it's, it's worth mentioning anymore. Because after analyzing this video several times, I really don't think that it was that bad. One, of, one thing a lot of people have been doing on social media is saying, look, this isn't anywhere close to the Ray Rice video. But here's the thing. You can't really compare the two videos in the first place. Because at the end of the day, it's what's behind closed doors that's important. You know, if, if Kareem Hunt has a video out there that, that, that shows him doing this shot, this kind of shit on a public video camera, then what is he doing in the privacy of his own home? You know? Who knows? 
For all we know, nothing, because he's never actually been accused prior to this video being released. But you know who has been accused prior to this video being released? Reuben Foster. Ezekiel Elliott. Joe Mixon. Tyreek Hill. Both of the Pouncey brothers. Quincy Inunua. And guess where all these other players who have been accused of domestic violence prior to this video being released, guess where they all are right now? They're on the football field, making millions of dollars. Do they have videos? No, but I can guarantee you that the assaults that these men have been accused of is far worse than what Kareem Hunt is seen doing in this video. But here's the thing, though. That video is reminiscent of Ray Rice. Not, not the video itself, but the mere fact that he has a video. Okay? Not, not the, the video of Ray Rice punching out his girlfriend in an elevator and dragging her out down a, down a hotel lobby. That, or a hotel hallway. That's, that's far worse than, than what we saw in the Kareem Hunt video. But the mere fact that there's a video out there, that's what gets people jumpy. That's what gets people interested. That's what gets people talking and saying that Kareem Hunt should, should also be kicked out of the league and face the same punishments that Ray Rice did. Okay? Because what the media is doing... I took communication, so I'm really attracted to you know different kinds of buzzwords. I know how media spins things. I know how media... I've analyzed a lot of different stories and I've seen how media can set the agenda of what goes in the news okay so buzzwords like video NFL player domestic abuse all of that is reminiscent of Ray Rice so when people see now there's a video of Kareem Hunt and they're seeing those same three words video NFL player domestic abuse they're going to look at that in the title and before they even watch the video, people don't even need to watch the video, okay? Because enough people have already watched the video. Now you have other people around on social media. They see what's trending on Twitter. They see that other people have posted on Facebook and on Twitter. And they don't even need to look at the video, okay? But every time they hear Kareem Hunt, they're going to associate him with those three things. There's a video out of him. There's He's an NFL player, and he's involved in domestic abuse. And who's the last person who is involved in all... Who is the last person where all three of those buzzwords were trending about him? Ray Rice, okay? So people are very familiar with a person who's been in this situation before. But I can tell you right now, these videos are far from different. Sorry, these videos are far different, not far from different. Um, they just are, okay? Watch the two videos. I mean, I can't even watch the Ray Rice video. It disgusts me. I wouldn't be able to watch the Ray Rice video and analyze it because there's nothing to break down. He knocks out his, his girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, okay? Um, so I would imagine there's far worse people that are still on the football field right now than Kareem Hunt. I just named all those names, and, and there's, there's ton, tons more who have already been accused of domestic violence. So this is what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that if you guys want to act like you're mad about this situation, if you want to act like you're standing up for domestic, domestic abuse, if you, if, you, if you want to be an advocate for, for all of the wrongdoings that the NFL 
has done in handling these situations. And if you think that Kareem Hunt should not ever be allowed to have the opportunity to play football again and perform his job as a running back in the NFL, then you better fucking get out there on social media and protesting the NFL and protesting the fact that the NFL is allowed is allowing guys like Joe Mixon to play the game who literally knocked a woman unconscious. And guess what? There's a video of that too. And you can watch it. And it's far worse than what Kareem Hunt did. But is anyone talking about that in the media? No. Because it's no longer news. And, and media only cares about what is recent. So they don't give a fuck. The only reason that people do want to talk about Kareem Hunt right now is because it's newsworthy. But, but like I said, if, if you want to act like an advocate for domestic abuse... You better put everybody on blast, not just Kareem Hunt. Okay, if if you if you want to go on rants about why Kareem Hunt should never be allowed in the league again, and if and if if you want to clap your hands and say this is amazing that that Kareem Hunt isn't in the league right now, and and if you want to act pissed when he inevitably gets signed to a neat new team, if that ever does happen then you better get out there and you better start protesting for these other guys too. Because you can't just, you know, it's not just him. There's a video of Joe Mixon knocking a woman unconscious. That's online right now for you to watch. You know, the, I think that the Me Too movement was an amazing thing to happen to this world. Because it was a very eye-opening thing that the world needed. But at the same time, I think that there's a lot of people who now want to jump to conclusions faster than they need to because you know they want to rid everybody from the face of the earth before anyone receives due process because they don't want to look like the bad guys here because there are a lot of bad guys who who got caught in the me too movement and, and now, now these guys have been publicly shamed and outed from Hollywood. And speaking of one of those people, Kevin Spacey. Now, I just finished watching the new season of House of Cards. And I made a Snapchat yesterday and I got a lot of negative uh, backlash. I said that I actually liked the sixth season. And I thought that they did a pretty damn good job, all things considered. You know, Robin Wright, she stepped up to the plate and she knocked that fucker out of the park. And, you know, I feel like she's not going to receive an Emmy because, you know, if you look at trends and you look at who the Academy usually votes in, it's usually people who are starring in, you know, newer season, newer, newer shows. They like newer faces. Robin Wright, she's been nominated several times before. But, I mean, if anyone deserves an Emmy right now, I think that it's Robin Wright because she was fucking amazing. She was so good this season. And Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas too. So before you come at me and you say, Ryan, what the fuck are you talking about? Listen, I'm strictly saying all things considered, I thought that it was a good season. And you can't deny how good Robin Wright and Michael Douglas were. Um, you know, one of the ways I broke it down was I actually, I still felt the same way watching this season as I did with the old seasons. 
Obviously, you can't replace Kevin Spacey. You know, he was the show. And when you kill, when you kill off the main character of a show, you're going to lose a lot of people's interests. Not me, though, man. I, I liked it. I loved it. Um, yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just a fucking idiot, and I'm, I'm too easily amused. Um, but, uh, yeah, I liked it. But, you know, I couldn't help but, but think of Kevin Spacey this entire season. And I couldn't help but wonder, could he ever make a comeback? Could a guy like him ever make a comeback in television? You know? And, and how long does it take? I think Louis C.K. tried making a comeback not too long ago, back in the summer. And people weren't too happy with it. And, and we haven't heard much from Louis C.K. recently. But I, I, I think that was a little too soon for somebody to, to try and come back. You know, the Me Too movement is still very, very hot right now. And you, you got to let that cool down a little bit. You got to earn people's trust uh, before you can make that comeback. But I mean, you know, this, this guy, Kevin Spacey, he was my favorite actor of all time. And when news originally broke out about him, I mean, I was pissed. And, you know, I knew that we'd probably never see this guy in the spotlight again. But ultimately, you know, who's, who's making these decisions, you know? Um, <clears throat> back to that whole Kareem Hunt, that whole thing with Kareem Hunt. I mean, there were several NFL players before the Ray Rice video who were involved with, you know, domestic disputes. And, and there were no videos on them, but... You know, guys like Ben Roethlisberger and Brandon Marshall, both the Pouncey brothers, all of those allegations happened prior to the Ray Rice video. And they weren't publicly outed by the media in the same way that Kareem Hunt was. And because of that, they still have their jobs. So, <clears throat> you know, there, there's an example for that in Hollywood too. Um, a couple years ago, Casey Affleck who starred in uh, Manchester by the Sea. Amazing, 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 amazing movie, by the way. He was in that movie. And there, 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 was, there was a little bit of, of public outcry regarding Casey Affleck, but no, nowhere near, you know, the kind of things that we, we saw this, at the beginning of this year with the whole Me Too movement. Um, you know, I, I don't know the whole story, so I'm not going to get into it, but essentially Casey Affleck, he, he, he was working with some women and, and he had them in his hotel room and, you know, there was, there's allegations of some sexual abuse or harassment or whatever that was going on, um, ultimately just an abuse of power and, uh, you know, there there wasn't a whole lot of attention, if you you know if you compare it with all this other Me Too movement stuff. But there was enough that when Casey Affleck ultimately did win the Oscar, that people were upset about it. But you know that you know the fact that he won an Oscar shows you that there wasn't enough to to get this guy out of Hollywood, and and this guy's going to continue to stay in Hollywood because all this stuff happened before Me Too movement. So just like that. That stuff with Kareem Hunt, you know, what what happens to all those those guys that were accused 
of domestic assault before these videos came out. I mean, anyways, regardless of all that bullshit, Manchester by the Sea, American Beauty, uh, they'll always be my two, two of my favorite movies of all time. House of Cards will always be uh, one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, you know, season six sucked that we had to see that season end without um, our main character. But for what it was, I thought it was pretty damn good. Um, <clears throat> but there, there's there's so many so many good movies coming out. This is you know one of my favorite months of of the year because all the Oscar movies start coming out. Um, I just watched A Star Is Born. Dude, I don't care what you guys say. I don't care how much you want to make fun of me for this. I thought the movie was amazing. You know, I was telling you guys how just just last week. Oh, I've been like very invested in, in all of these old comedians. And uh what's his name? I'm gonna get his name wrong. Hold on. Andrew Dice Clay. Uh he This guy was one one of the most um original comedians of all time and he was in the movie and he was so good. He played uh, the father of of the woman in the film, uh, played by Lady Gaga. It was so good. Um, and the movie's good. Strongly recommend uh, you check that out. Uh, other movies coming out. The Green Book with Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali. That movie looks fucking awesome. And, dude, I want to go see that this weekend. But I can't because I'm going to be fucking working all weekend. And, yeah, man, I'm going to be working like a motherfucker. I... I work all Saturday. I work all tomorrow. Um, yeah, I'm not even going to be able to watch the UFC on Saturday because I'm going to be working working all night, which fucking sucks because this Saturday we have an absolute doozy. we got Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. These are the two best featherweights in the world. They're going to be squaring off for the featherweight title. Max Holloway currently riding a 12-fight win streak. Brian Ortega undefeated at 14 and 0 coming off a knockout victory against Frankie Edgar should be a war man uh the fight is in Toronto and yeah man I was I was actually going to see this I was going to go see this one live and and now I can't even watch it on a fucking pay-per-view cuz I mean working all day but uh it is what it is man <clears throat> I'll uh, I'll definitely check out the pay-per-view on Sunday, I'm going to wake up early Sunday morning and download it. And, uh, you know, sometimes these things just happen. You got to gotta make your money. Got to make your money somehow. Um, we got a treat today because <clears throat> returning to the show is Spencer Kite. Always fun having this guy on the show. He uh, He's going he's gonna to help me break down UFC 231 that goes down on Saturday night. So here is my interview with Spencer Kite. All right, Spencer, uh, thank you for coming back on the show. Appreciate it. Anytime, man. Uh, I was just reading your Twitter. Are you, I saw that you lost by point one in fantasy football. Are you, are you a big fantasy football guy? <laughs> I am a big fantasy football guy. I lost to uh, another MMA guy, a buddy of mine named Josh Neeson, who does some work for, for uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and stuff like that. Josh got me by point one point. Uh, James Conner was being part of a, a Pittsburgh drive down the field and then got rolled up 
Mm. And bounced from the game, and that was my. But I mean, there were there were lots of other guys. How'd you do this year? Did you make Did you make playoffs? I am in the playoffs. Nice. Uh, our playoffs start this week. I am the number two seed, so it's not the end of the world. But the point one stings. Yeah. Jeez, I've never had it that bad. I've I've had some bad losses. I've never lost by a fraction of a point. That's pretty bad. All right, uh, I want to get into that UFC 231 card, but before I do that, did you end up watching that uh, Chuck and Tito fight? I know the last time you were on, you said that you would never buy it. Did you end up biting the bullet? I did not. I, uh, I had no interest. Um, I mean, we talked about it, and sort of as, as it was getting closer, I talked about it online and on Twitter and stuff like that. It was just one of those fights that I had no interest watching. I knew how it was going to go. I was in Vancouver when Chuck fought Rich Franklin. I remember, you know, I talked to him in advance of that. That was my first event covering the UFC for the province. And so, you know, I, I got a chance to spend some time with him. He said all the same things then that he said going into this one, and that was eight years ago. And, and I remember the look in his eye when he was laying there knocked out on the canvas. And, and I assumed that it was going to end up the same way. And that's what happened. And, you know... I understand that these guys have that competitive fire. I understand that everybody needs to make money and wants to make money. But to, to see that fight go down the way that it did, and then to see kind of the hand-wringing afterwards and California Athletic Commission saying Chuck is, you know, suspended indefinitely. Like, he, he shouldn't have been in the cage. It shouldn't have happened. He's mm-hmm. a 48-year-old man, I believe. And so... The minute we saw him in there, even when we saw those sparring videos and those workout videos, he looked wooden then. It wasn't going to get any better in the days and weeks leading up to the fight. And as he looked out of place and unsure in the cage, and to me it's just, it's a really sad kind of footnote to what was a great career at one point. It was sad, yeah. It was definitely a sad ending, and it was, it was, a, ter- it was a terrible uh, production of the event. Uh, you had that press conference where Oscar De La Hoya didn't know anybody's names. It was just kind of, it's, you know, for two legends, you know, not talking about, t- it, if we're talking about Chuck and this is going to be his last fight, that just kind of sucks to see see him treated that way. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, to have, you know, De La Hoya go on this big spiel when they're getting it organized of, if you guys want to make what you deserve, then, then come fight for Golden Boy right. and nobody nobody that had fought in the UFC made anywhere close to what they made when they had fought in the UFC and that's understandable because Golden Boy MMA isn't the UFC but don't make those kind of claims when we're going to see what you're paying everybody he wasn't at the ceremonial weigh-in the day before the fight as you said he had that press conference where he didn't know how to properly pronounce Chuck's name and look Chuck Liddell yeah yeah, pronunciations are, are difficult at times. There are people with difficult names. But if you're going to talk about a guy that's a legend and refer to him as a legend in the sport and people know who he is, you need to know how to pronounce his name mm. as a promoter. So it just felt it felt like a bad idea when it was first announced. Mm. It sucks that it, it turned out to be a bad idea in application and and in the way that everything has sort of happened afterwards. And I mean, Tito doing Tito stuff, telling Chuck that he should keep fighting when they're in the cage and then get to the press conference and be like, well, if I was his manager, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have let him fight. Like, just, mm. just stop. Just 
You know, so I, I guess you didn't watch the pay-per-view, but while I was watching it, uh, you know, one of the things throughout that pay-per-view that fascinated me was the fact that one of their main sponsors, one of Golden Boy's sponsors throughout the pay-per-view was DAZN, which is a sports streaming site. And, you know, throughout the pay-per-view, they kept sponsoring it. And the one ad that kept playing over and over, uh, it was an ad of Michael Buffer. And he was saying something along the lines of like, you'll never have to pay for a pay-per-view again, which is, you know, obviously ironic considering that the majority of the people watching this ad just paid for a pay-per-view. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, these monthly streaming services, you know, that, that boxing is now starting to offer um, because I guess HBO Sports, they're done. So this is going to be, I guess, the competition to Showtime. And, you know, now we're seeing this on Bellator. Uh, they, they just signed with DAZN as well. Do you think that sports streaming services are a good thing for the future of combat sports? Like, do you like this? Do you have an opinion on this? Well, I will start by saying that as someone that works at, at Sporting News, we are owned by the same parent company that owns DAZN. Okay. Uh, Perform Media Group. Mm. Uh, Right. Right. Well, of course it feels that way. Yeah. I think they're great. I think it's. I mean, we see the way that that cable television has gone and the shift to platforms like Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu in the states and things like that. And it just feels like that's the natural progression of things. That's where we are going. Um, If I had my, if if I was able to not have cable and not have to do pay per views and could get everything on my screens and on, you know, off streaming platforms, I wouldn't have cable. I would just stream. And so I think something like DAZN and, and, I mean, Fight Pass fits in there as well. And I think, you know, one has their app that you can go and get to watch their events. I think they're great, especially for, for combat sports fans. Yes, it is another monthly fee that you have to pay. But you look at a platform like DAZN, they've gone out... In addition to Bellator, they have, or in addition to like KSW, they have Combate uh, Americas, they have several different promotions so that if you really do want to do basically anything that it feels almost like anything that isn't on Fight Pass already is now on DAZN. And, and to me, if, you, if you're a hardcore fan, if you're somebody that wants to spend sort of Friday evening through the early hours of Sunday morning, just non-stop watching fights, you have that accessible to you now. And I think it's it's a really good thing. We see the money that's being filtered into these. I mean, we see the deal that Canelo Alvarez got for signing his boxing deal exclusive with DAZN. And if some of that money can transfer over and become a part of the MMA world, and we can see some of those, you know, fight purses and, and salaries that these, these men and women are making go up as a result, I'm 100% for it. Mm-hmm. No, I would, uh, I would absolutely agree with you. And because, you know, boxing is one of those things where I'm just like kind of starting to get into now. And, you know, just the fact that it, the, the same program that I'm, you know, I'm paying for DAZN because I want to watch football every Sunday. But, you know, if they're going to be offering Canelo, Alver- Canelo Alvarez fights, which, which they're doing uh, next weekend, I think on December 15th, then that's perfect. Um, you know, because it, it's, it's something I would never buy anyway. Um, right. But anyway, let's uh, let's get into UFC 231. Let's uh, let's get into it. Um, so we essentially have the double main event. Uh, it's gonna be the first title fight. 
that's going to be between Valentina Shevchenko and Joanna Jacek for the vacated flyweight title. For those that don't know, this is actually going to be the fourth time that these two are fighting. Uh, the other three fights happened in kickboxing over, what, 10 years ago. And uh, it was both very early on in their careers. Uh, first of all, Spencer, why the hell did they fight three times? I mean, it, my understanding and my, my suspicion is that it was, you know, these tournament competitions. And these okay. Sort of, you, you work your way down or work your way through a bracket and, and they met in different championships and in situations like that. So you just kind of cross paths with right. people and... and end up in the same cage with the same people if, if you look at sort of international wrestling and, and okay. things like that you'll often see you know the elite people always end up fighting the elite people multiple times and so that's my that's my understanding of things all right, so uh, let's let's break this fight down, uh, Spencer. Break it down for us. Do you see Joanna becoming the first, you know, women's the first two weight world champ in in women's UFC, or do you think that Valentina is just going to be too big for her? I I mean that's part of, that's one of the things I'm really interested about with this fight is that you know we've seen Joanna over her last couple of fights. The weight cut is tough on her to get down to, to 115 and not to take anything away from Rosama Yunus, who has looked great at points in both of their fights and really showed championship medal in the fifth round of, of their last fight to sort of salt that one away. I'm very curious to see what Joanna looks like at 125 pounds, not having to make that strenuous cut and having a little bit more energy, having a little bit more life throughout the week and, and going into the cage. I do think Shevchenko makes the weight relatively easy. She did well at bantamweight. She looked terrific at flyweight in her first fight. I think if you're talking about kind of the, the arsenal of tools and, and what they bring to the cage, I do think Shevchenko has more weapons. Um, she is a little bit better on the ground, although Joanna has terrific takedown defense, so I don't know if we get there. I think this ends up being a, a bone booth kind of fight where they just kind of meet each other in the center and, and spend most of the time kickboxing. And honestly, for me, that then just kind of becomes a bit of a coin flip because we, Joanne, somehow Joanna is an X factor again. We don't know what we're going to get from her. We don't know how much better she's going to look fighting at 25. She looked good against Tisha Torres in Calgary. And so if she builds off that and can get back to being the Yoena that we saw against Carla Esparza and the Yoena that we saw against Jessica Panay, who has never been the same since that fight, then this gets all kinds of interesting to me because as great as Shevchenko has been and her two losses in the UFC, obviously to a phenomenal champion in Amanda Nunes, I think there's ways that Joanna can win this fight. We've seen the power. We've seen kind of more of a ferocity from her than we've seen from Shevchenko. That sounds weird to say, given that she mauled Priscilla Cashwara last time out. Mm. But we've seen Joanna do more damage and, and hurt people more than we have Shevchenko. And I think that's going to be the real, for me, that's the real interesting wrinkle is can Joanna get back to some of what we saw early in her UFC career, early in that championship rise, and if she can, I think this is a super close fight. I hope so. Uh, all right, so up. <laughs> Me too. 
I love you. I love you, Anna, and I'd love to see her uh, become a champion. I haven't looked at the odds, but I would assume that she, she's a pretty big underdog going in this fight, eh? I haven't looked either. I'm going to pull them up now as we're talking. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a good thing to, to check on. I would imagine that she is an underdog. I don't know how, how big it'll be. I'm kind of stalling for, for time here. Yeah. Go. Well, for some reason, I, I, I just feel like for whatever reason that there are a lot of people that that are taking into account these last two fights or these last three fights between them in kickboxing you know i don't know why but i just think that that might even have a mental edge valentina might have a mental edge over her and you know just the fact that she's she's just a bigger woman when it comes down to it she she was fighting at 135 yoana was fighting at 115 now they're gonna meet in the middle at 125 A mm. decade ago, they both moved on. It's a very different rule set. It's a very different skill set. Um, right now, Shevchenko is a solid favorite. You can get to it at a plus 275. Shevchenko's a minus 350. So mm. clearly favored pretty heavily in there. So wait, so so what would that mean? Like, what, what if I put $100 down on Valentina Shevchenko? What's my turnout? Oh, okay, right, right, right. And then... F- and so, if you bet $100 on Joanna, you would win 275 Okay. I've never been much of the... Uh, much of a gam- Are you much of a gambler? I, I'm not anymore. I was in my younger years. Right. But, but not anymore now that I have mortgages and bills. And- yeah, it's a little harder. <laughs> I've, I've never got into the, the online gambling, and, and I, I don't know if that's something that I, I would ever want to do. I mean, I mean, like, I think I'll just stick to the pro line for now. Right. They can just give me their money and I'll yeah. for them. Um, uh, the interesting thing about the size of these two, and, and a lot of people are talking about, as you mentioned, that, you know, oh, Shevchenko is the bigger woman. Joanna is an inch taller, so there's, you know, mm. it's a pretty negligible difference. The reach is about the same. Shevchenko is, I think, an inch and a half longer reach. And so a lot of those measurables, a lot of the tail of the tape stuff, are, as Mike Goldberg would say, virtually identical. Right. They're not identical. And so it really, for me, it really does come down to what does you want to look like over these next couple of days? How is that weight cut? That's a good point. Has she, how high she put on the weight to get up to this weight class, where we always expected her to get. That's the part that's weird to me. When this division started coming around and they were talking about it, she was the one that we expected to just go up and dominate and be in the position she's in now, and Shevchenko has come along sort of after the fact while Joanna's had a couple of losses, and now we're kind of just discounting this woman that up until a couple of years ago we thought of as the best female fighter on the planet. Mm. No, that's a that's a good point. Uh, you know, we haven't seen Joanna at 125 yet, and, you know, similarly, I guess, to like, to DC, you know, before we saw DC at heavyweight, we always saw him as as this light heavyweight guy. Then he made that jump up to heavyweight, and his bone structure, his body, just looked completely different. He's just this massive human being now, and you know, it's just it's, he's no longer the same guy. Um, but uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about bone structure. Up next, we have Brian Ortega and Max Holloway. I know this is a fight. That gets you fired up because, you know, the, the first time I had you on the show, I, I was saying something about, you know, the UFC, they don't have enough super fights on their schedule. 
and you said no this 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 fight is is your super fight Do you have a prediction on who's going to come out on top in this one? said you weren't going to go to this fight that that surprised me you know you're up in canada this is your dream fight why not $450 round round 
round trip? What's that? What is that, a $450 round trip for you? Yeah, something like that, yeah. 500 but I, I didn't even look at it because if it was a number that I could negotiate with Right, then yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have tried to do it, but I'm happy to be here. I enjoy watching fights from home. There is something to be said for being live and being on the ground and, and mm. seeing it happen, but there's also something to be said about, you know, watching the fights on your couch with some of your friends or, in my case, my two dogs and, and just kicking back and relaxing. Hey, I hear you, man. I hear you. Uh, we got we got UFC two thirty two at the end of the month at the end of the month. Uh, that that's my dream fight, man. Uh, we got the rematch of John Jones, Alexander Gustafson. You know, I was in the building uh, the night that those two guys fought for the first time, and you know, I must say that was that was probably the greatest sporting event that I've ever been able to witness live. We're talking about live sporting events. Uh, you know, we watched this quiet young Swede come in not too many people really considered this guy to be a contender for the title I think he was coming off a win against against Shogun and he ends up taking John Jones to the absolute brinks and you know it was truly this rocky moment that we were seeing in the cage and there weren't a lot of people in the building that night that were expecting you know to see that kind of fight are there any uh are there any sporting events like that uh for you that you got to witness live in person I mean I Ooh. I was this great I, greatest fight I ever. Closed, I closed my laptop uh, when Conor McGregor started making his walk to the cage to fight Jose Aldo right. at UFC 194. So those are those are up there. Uh, family tells me that I was in attendance for a Stanley Cup win, but I don't remember it because I was probably four years old, five okay. years old. But but I was apparently there. I mean, I. What Stanley Cup was that? It wouldn't have been your Canucks. They're they're what forty five year old virgins at this point. First, I'm mm-hmm. an Ontario boy by birth. So okay. They are not my, they are not my Canucks. Okay, good, good, good. I'm a Flames fan, so I, I didn't want to get into that. They are not my Canucks. By All right. Uh, it would have been the New York Islanders during their uh, early '80s dynasty. Mm. I think I've watched that fight at least 55 times. I, I, I have that fight saved on my computer and, you know, any, any time I'm, I'm ever getting doubts on the UFC and every time I, you know, just need to to watch a fight to get me fired up again, I, I, I turn that fight on. That that was the great, greatest fight, I think, ever ever in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's my go-to when people are like, why do you like this sport so much? What is it about this sport? And I, I couch it with, hey, look, it gets violent, it gets bloody and and these two don't look don't look right when it's done. And mm-hmm. the ending's hard to watch. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I have a relationship with Rory. He's a guy that I know beyond just watching him fight it. So it's hard for me to watch that fight back and see him so close and then his body just give out and 
it is it is everything that I love about this sport because you see the technique, you see the skill, but you also see the heart and the toughness of both of those guys. So I'm with you that it's it's the best fight in UFC history. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so so back to the uh, to the fight we got at the end of the month. We we're going to get to see round six, if you will, and, you know, hopefully a lot more than round six because, you know, I'll, I want to see John Jones and Gustafson go to the distance again, and I hope that we get to see another chaotic fight between these two guys, but I think I think that all depends on the John Jones that enters the octagon. What, Spencer, what John Jones do you expect in this fight? See, and that's interesting because I was going to go the other way and say I feel like I know what I'm going to get from John Jones. It's, it's Alex that I'm, I'm curious to see because mm. he has dealt with some injuries. He is that many years removed, and this is a fight that he's been after since that first fight, and it hasn't come, and there have been some other losses. I think we see the John Jones that rolled into Anaheim and beat Daniel Cormier two summers ago. Like To mm. come off of that layoff and that heartbreak of, of the UFC 200 situation, and then just walk back into the cage and, and beat DC in the way that he beat him, sort of letting him get off shots early, but, but putting some, some kicks in the bank and, and doing some body work early and not really being too worried about what DC had to offer. And this is DC coming off some very good wins. I, I think we're going to see probably the best John Jones we've ever seen. Um, wow. I think there is a... I think there's a different kind of motivation there for John right now because of the way everything has gone. I don't think it's so much about trying to get that get a third fight with DC. I truly believe that they've moved on from each other, but I think there's an element of come back and, and show people just how good he can be and he was to John that, that ends up coming out in this fight and we see just an absolutely blistering performance. Well, you know what? You know what? You know what the best part about this fight is. These are two layoff guys. These are two guys who always seem to come to the ring, and and every time they fight, you're like, wow, this guy's this guy still has has those capabilities because you know we haven't seen Gustafson fight in however long, but that that always seems to be the case. It always seems to be the case that Gustafson and John Jones are both taking, you know, one and a half to two years off and then they, they come back and they look as good as ever. And I think that that's what makes this fight that much more amazing because these these are two guys who are both used to to these long layoffs and, and everyone's always kinda asking that question, you know, what John Jones or what Alexander Gustafson are we gonna see in this fight? Yeah, I mean we talk about, you know, the amount of time that John missed through his own situations with, with suspensions and things like that and how there's been injuries for him. And we sort of marvel that it's only been four. He's only had four fights since that night in 2013 in Toronto when they, when they met the first time. But Alex has only fought five times since then. And he hasn't been suspended. He hasn't been, you know, dealing with USADA or court cases. It's just been injuries. It's just been kind of waiting around and, and waiting to get the right fight. And so... The good thing is, is you're absolutely right. Both of these guys, generally speaking, and, and most of the time, have, have looked really good when coming back from layoffs. Alex didn't look great against Jan Blakovich, but he's a, he's a tough guy to fight. He's a difficult style. John didn't look terrific against Ogun St. Prue, but that, again, was you know supposed to be DC, and you get that let down. 
Thursday. So outside of those, you're absolutely right. They've both been terrific coming back off of these layoffs. I don't expect any different at the end of the month. And uh, on that same card, you know, I'm not expecting to say too much about this. Don't worry, I'm going to let you off easy. But we also get the return of BJ Penn. What are your thoughts on that? Man, BJ is, I mean, BJ is one of those dudes that if you, if you came up when started watching this sport back when he was, you know, just started, go back and, I mean, and if you weren't, go back and watch his first few fights because that was, you understand why his nickname is the prodigy. It is because he got his black belt so quickly, but you could see it just in those first few fights of how good he was and, you know, people will look at the record and go, oh, well, I don't know why everybody's so so enamored with this guy. But you go back and see who he fought and where he fought. And, you know, like this is a guy that for a long time was in the running as, as maybe the best lightweight of all time. But he had a light heavyweight fight or a heavyweight fight against Leota Machida. Right. And he beat Matt Hughes when Matt Hughes was at the height of his powers. And, and so it's, it's starting to get a little bit toward the somebody needs to intervene yeah. to, to knock this off. I think the Ryan Hall matchup is a good matchup in terms of a guy that's just going to look to grapple with him and kind of, you know, you don't have to be worried about somebody coming in and, and a big knockout. But when you can't beat Dennis Seaver, when it's, you know, it's, it's five losses in a row for BJ, it's one win. It's one win since the Diego Sanchez fight which was nine years ago, I think next, a week, nine years ago next week. And so when you're in that territory, it's like, all right, maybe maybe it might be time to mm. just be done. And again, like we talked about off the top with Jack and Tito, I get that the competitive urge is there, and I get that the, the desire to go out on a high note is there, but if you're not beating Dennis Seaver, and if you can't beat Ryan Hall, then, then maybe that has to be it, unfortunately. All right, man, I got one more here for you. UFC 234, we're going to get the return of Anderson Silva. He's going to be facing off against Israel Adesanya. Uh, the last time on the on the podcast, last time you were on, I think we talked about that guy for about 15 minutes. Dana says that if, if Anderson wins, he gets the next crack at the middleweight title. But, you know, is there a chance in hell that Anderson stops this young prodigy? Right. But it really feels like Zach 
detriment to, to a young upstart, which is just, it's the way this sport has been built, it's the way this sport happens, it's an unfortunate part of things, but I just do not see this ending well for, for the spider. I agree with you, man. Uh, as always, Spencer, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, let's do this again for UFC 232. There's a lot more on that card that, uh, that I think we can break down. Sounds good, man. Look forward to it. All right. Appreciate it, man. Have yourself a good one. There he is, ladies and gentlemen. That is Spencer Kite, fan-sided and sporting news MMA reporter. Always a pleasure having him on the show. Hey, uh, when I'm not talking sports and... Um, on this show, what, what, what are the two things I usually talk about? One, why Ottawa is fucked. And two, how much I hate my job. Um, this next story, you get a little two for one here. Um, cause I was working yesterday and my work has me do something kind of odd every day. Um, and they've never told me why I do this. I've come up with my own assumptions as to why I do this. Um, but I don't know if they're true or not. And almost every time somebody, like a customer, sees me doing this, they'll ask me about why I'm doing it and I'll give them a new answer every time because I really don't know the answer. Um, and also it's just kind of funny to fuck with them. But anyway, what my work has me do is they have me go in the bathroom and they have me put ice in the urinals. So if you can imagine a urinal at the bottom of it, that little base um, that you'd normally be pissing into, <clears throat> I fill that up with ice. So you'd essentially be just pissing into a uh, mountain of ice cubes. And nobody's ever told me why I do that. Um, there's a couple things. I, I have a couple of... Um, ideas as to why I might do that. The first is the obvious one. Obviously, it takes away the smell of piss. And I've noticed that when I go into these bathrooms and the person working before me hasn't put ice in it, it'll smell like a fucking outhouse. So that's definitely the actual reason. Um, the reason that I use and the reason that I, you know, I fuck with people, with customers, because there will be customers in the bathroom, and they'll be like, hey, man, why are you, why do you put ice in the urinals? You know, that, that's, that's just like a common question. That's a normal thing that people sometimes ask me uh, during a day's worth of work. And I'll tell them that we, uh, <laughs> the flushers don't work, so the ice breaks down the piss and um, we are a very energy conservative uh, restaurant. And they'll always like say something back and they'll be like, oh my God, that's like, that's nice. I like that. They're like something like that. And then I'll always like laugh to myself afterwards because, <laughs> you know, I just completely bullshitted them. And I have no idea what I'm talking about. 
but nobody ever told me why I'm doing it, you know, so I don't really care. I can say whatever I want. Um, anyway, yesterday I was, I was doing that and what sucks is when I have to do this, like during a, a later shift, um, some of the people in the bathroom are going to be like a little bit drunk and then I have to talk with them a little bit and, you know, think of stupid jokes like, yeah, these ice cubes are used to, uh, conserve energy. Uh, and there was this guy there in there yesterday as I'm putting ice in the urinals and he said something that I've never heard before. And he said, Hey, are you trying to make our dicks look smaller? And I said, what? And he said, are you trying to make our dicks look smaller? And I said, oh, okay, you did say what I thought you said. Uh, what are you talking about? And then he said it a third time. And again, I said, what? That doesn't, what do you mean? And then he laughed and then he left. And I've been thinking about that for the past 18 hours. What the fuck was he talking about? How does me putting ice in urinals, how is that an attempt to make your dick look smaller? Um, so... Yeah, I've just been, I've been pondering that for the last... 18, almost 19 hours as, as to what he may have meant by that. Um, and and that, that's your mixture of I hate my job and Ottawa's fucked. Um, terrible segue. Uh, I just want to give a little um, shout out and a big rest in peace to my step-grandfather. This guy was a World War II veteran, Arthur Boyle. He passed away um, at Parkway Veterans Memorial uh, Retirement Home in London, Ontario. Like I said, he was 103 years old, World War II vet. Um, I mean, hey, we were talking about mortality on on, on last week's episode, and, you know, we we ultimately uh, all you know, have to face that day. Um, and, you know, I truly believe that if if there is um, a life after death and if there's a heaven up there, then this guy is is absolutely, absolutely, you know, one, one, of, one of the greatest people I've ever, ever known. Um, that's where he is right now. Uh, <clears throat> he was always, always a big Blue Jays fan. Um, you know, I remember... I remember visiting him, um, you know, in in his apartment, and I would bike over to his his apartment building, and and we'd sit down, and you know, he'd always offer me beer out of his fridge. He, he, you know, he, even when he was in his mid to late nineties, I always kept kept beer in the fridge for his guests, and uh, you know, I've I've never met anybody who was more accommodating. And I've never met anybody who would sit down every day in the summer and watch all 160 
two baseball games uh, in in a, in a year, but you know he loved he loved his Blue Jays man. He lo- he both loved and and hated the Blue Jays um, at the same time. Uh, you know, anytime I would ever bring up anything positive about the Toronto Blue Jays, and even though you know you would expect that this guy, you know, as a supporter of the team, would have some positive things to say, he he always knew. He always knew um, that <laughs> that they're all just talk, because the Blue Jays um, they made they did make it. You know, in the in the last twenty five years, they 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 have uh, made a uh, ALCS, but you know they ultimately fell to the um, to the Kansas City Royals. But uh, he always knew, man. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't even say that he was a cynic because in the end, he was, he was always right about them. He was always right that, that the Blue Jays uh, would, never, would never reach that, that point of success. Um, and uh, that is an example of of a tremendous sports fan who, you know, although he loves his team, he also has um, tremendous uh, foresight. So rest in peace, uh, Arthur Boyle, um, one of the best men, one, one of the best guys I, I, I think I'll, I'll ever have the pleasure of, of meeting in, in this lifetime. You know, he, he was just one of those guys that, you know, you, you have a conversation with him, and and this guy, you you you're you want to, you're a better person because of it. You know, so many stories this guy had. I mean, you you think about it: a World War II vet lived for a hundred and three years. Um, one of the greats, man, truly. Uh, but that's about it, everybody. Thank you. Uh, as always, damn, almost got uh, almost got a little choked up on this podcast talking about him, but that that's what this podcast is, man. Um, shout out to Arthur Boyle, for real. Um, we're all good, though. We're all good. Uh, UFC 231 goes down Saturday night. It's going to be a big weekend of sports. I got my bye week in my NFL fantasy football playoffs. And... Uh, can't wait to do this again next week so that's about it everybody thank you as always for tuning in appreciate it i'm out